Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the Bombastic Block Party Podcast Network, the fantastic Fabrice Bulakia, and the majestic Matthew Arbo. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Chuck and JT, and today we're going to talk about terrain, both the physical stuff you make for games and how to zhuzh up your set pieces, even in theater of the mind. Before we dive into that main topic, though, I'm going to ask our Get to Know a Gnome question. What is one of your favorite kinds of settings to use in a game? JT, I'm going to start with you. All right. So for me, it's uh, cities, uh, big cities specifically. Like I'm thinking Lankmar and Waterdeep and things along those lines. Um, I like those, particularly Waterdeep and uh, Lankmar, because there's a lot of detail but there's empty space inside the city that is not detailed where you can slide your game into. The Monty Cook product, uh, Tolis, the, the big giant book of the city, Tolis, uh, I didn't like that because he had every nook and cranny detailed, which meant there was no room for your freedom of expression. You had to, you know, if you didn't do it his way, you were quote unquote doing it wrong, which is not a good outlook anyway. But uh, yeah, big cities. That's my favorite setting. Very cool. Chuck, how about you? So I'm going to cheat outrageously, and I'm going to use two different kinds of settings. The first is the really easy one. I love the Underdark in Forgotten Realms. Uh, I love fungi and underground things and sort of the weird, dark strangeness of it all and just everything about the Underdark. If I could just run everything in the Underdark, I would be thrilled, <laughs> thrilled to pieces. Secondarily, I actually really like real-world modern settings, and to the degree that it's possible to have both of them, that's awesome. And not until this exact instant did I realize that I really need to run a modern game where people discover that there is actually an Underdark on Earth. <laughs> Ooh. Like, I need to make that happen, like, immediately. <laughs> I just realized that needs to happen. Needs to happen. Yeah, that, that absolutely needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ange? You know, if we're talking modern settings, I, I love amusement parks. Ooh, uh, yeah. Amusement parks and fairs, they can be such great settings for a game because you've got so much going on, so, you know, such a variety of the people that are there. And you can easily just feed in whatever type of like if it's a if it's a horror game, it's easy to do a creep factor oh, yeah. in an amusement park or, a, a you know, like a, a fair or or a carnival, that type of thing. If it's a superhero game, you've got so many innocents to put in danger. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's just, you know, they're wonderful. And I have to actually be careful not to overuse them. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I also have that problem. So. Yeah. And in, in, in a fantasy game, I don't know that I have a specific type of setting, but I very much enjoy digging into and creating, like, you know, like, I like making sure the dungeon makes sense. You know, mm -hmm. wh what is the ecology of this dungeon? Why are these things here? You know, what is, you know, even if it's not anything the players actually pick up on or grasp, mm -hmm. as long as I understand that this setting, you know, why this makes sense. Like, I, I created this, um, you know, uh, temple in the mountains in Eberron that was basically a lost temple of the Goblin Empire mm -hmm. and, you know, filled mm -hmm. it with all this, you know, 
these statues and iconography of the uh, the old Goblin Empire, which treated the Goblin races as you know they were the the preeminent people of the continent. So you had goblins standing there, you know, regally, you know, which is nice. like not anything like. Most of the PCs were used to goblins as, oh, they're the people that live in the cogs in Sharn. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't used to them being like noble people and like putting that in that dungeon and then figuring out why this temple was abandoned. Because basically a demon had showed up to eat the goblin king and <laughs> got locked into the temple and the temple was abandoned because of it. And, you know, all this other stuff. Anyway, that, that's that's me and that. Yeah, if if I can digress a little bit, I think that's a really interesting point, not necessarily relevant to our main topic. Sorry, Rob and listeners. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, RPGs are a whole bunch of games. It's it's not RPGs are not one game. They're a half dozen games clumsily stuffed into a trench coat pretending to be an adult. <laughs> and one of the and everybody's going to have fun with different games within that. And clearly one of the fun games for you is that world building. And that's true of a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Another fun game that people like to play that is ancillary to RPGs is Terrain. Ah, Segway. Yes. Segway. Nicely done. Thank so, you, thank you. As as our readers and listeners might have noticed, Chuck has written a couple of articles recently about his dive into the terrain pool. Uh, and so we thought that would be a good topic to uh, to discuss. Tell us about your terrain, Chuck. Well, so uh, like a lot of people, I find myself spending a lot more time at home. And while I could, yeah, yeah. And while I could be, you know, watching more TV and don't get me wrong, I watch plenty of TV. I I find that I get fidgety. So I've been sort of terrain curious for a little while now. And so uh, I picked up some foam and we already had a 3D printer and just a paper craft and just everything. And I just started putting things together. Uh, And I, I found that... Building terrain, even if I'm not using it right now, I've been talking with my husband about running a, a D&D game just one-on-one for, gosh, months now. I have it completely ready to go. We've never done it, but I'm still building just ridiculous amounts of terrain for it because for me, the process of making that terrain, uh, however clumsy, is a lot of fun, maybe even more fun than actually playing with it, though that's sacrilegious to say. <laughs> so... What? What about you, JT? Have you you gotten into the terrain building game for your stuff? I have not because I live real remote. So instead of having three, four, five people drive anywhere from half an hour to an hour to my place, mm-hmm. it's more fair for me to do the you know one person driving thirty minutes to an hour to to a central location, and that means if I have to lug the heavy bag of books and the computer and the iPad, and I don't want to add terrain to the mix. Uh, because invariably, some parts are not going to survive the transit. Mm-hmm. Very true. And it, it may even be a set piece, like the altar that the goblin demon guy is living in mm-hmm. and all that. And if that breaks and I pull it out of the, I don't know, whatever container it's in, and I set it on the table and it falls in half, I'm like, oh, well, that's anticlimactic. <laughs> um, or maybe I just change the story up on the fly and say, well, you guys walk in the room and the altar breaks in half and the demon jumps mm-hmm. out. You know, that's perfectly fair, too. But but because of the logistics, no, I really haven't gotten into terrain that deeply. We beat at Bill's house, and he's done the deep dive into terrain uh, because he doesn't have to lug it around. Mm-hmm. So there have been a few times I've shown up early at his place and said, hey, Bill, can you pull out this 
this, that, and the other bits, and let's set something up mm-hmm. for the game. Uh, it's pretty rare I do that. And when he's running the game, there's sometimes we'll walk into his house, go to the, the kitchen table where he uh, he's gaming, and he's got a sheet over, or, or maybe card sections of like just cardboard box on the table so that he can reveal one room at a time because he's got this wonderful terrain set up. And I love it. It's very immersive. But no, I, I just haven't haven't done the deep dive into mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and, and the, the logistics of transporting, it is something that's definitely to be considered. Like, if you're mm-hmm. mostly yeah. gaming in your house and you have the, the space to, to store it, then it's easy enough to pull out what you need when you need it. But if you have to travel from one location to another to set up game, it's something to keep in mind. It's not impossible, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. I don't tend to do terrain regularly with my group but we do minis Mm -hmm. Um, one of the the folks i game with uh used to be part of the back in 3.5 wizards of the coast had a um i can't remember what the program was called at this point but it was basically like you could be a representative Mm -hmm. for wizards and they pretty much paid them in product so basically you would earn points running wizards events at cons or at game stores and however and they would send you the products to demo which were yours to keep afterwards and then you earned points and could get a whole bunch of stuff and as a result he has so many of the D minis that they made cool. for mm. you know back in the 3.5 era and so i'll just you know even if it spoils a little bit of the game for him i'll be like Hey, Tristan, can you get me four figures that can stand in for uh, ghosts or whites or something along those lines? Mm-hmm. And I need a large figure that could represent a minotaur. You know, mm-hmm. I just give him that information. <laughs> he just quietly fills a little box and brings it wherever we need. Mm-hmm. I've also done the, um, I'm actually staring at it right now. My characters had to, my PCs had to take a journey by boat. And mm-hmm. so what I did is I printed out the the map for the boat on just regular paper and then taped it, you know, pasted it to cardboard mm-hmm. and put that all together cool. so I could just plop down the boat on the bo- on the table and be like here is your travel accommodations for the next however long this journey takes. Nice. And you know, even doing something a little like that can really help kind of bring the setting to life and I think Let's get into that part of the topic, because that's what terrain is for. It's bringing <laughs> the setting to life mm-hmm. for the players. Right. Yeah. So so practically speaking, I think uh, either the first or one of the first articles that I ended up writing for Gnome Stew was about, uh, in part, working memory and how that sort of interacts with gaming. Just as a personal confessional moment, I have the worst sense of direction, I guarantee, of any human being you've ever met in your life. (laughs) And that translates to the fact that when somebody says, you know, you enter a 10 by 10 room and there's a door on the west wall and they you use words like east, west and 10 feet and 20 feet from this other thing. And I'm already lost. And so practically speaking, terrain, in addition to immersion, lets me actually keep track of what's happening on the board without having to juggle all that in my working memory. Which, you know, for me and for players like me, and I, after writing that article, I heard from a lot of people saying that that's a really common thing, that if we don't have that visual cue, even if it's just a couple of pieces of lint on a, on a board representing things, we can't track what's going on. Right. And so practically, that really helps certain players with that. It, it, it also helps for player agency. Mm-hmm. 
I I had a uh, I played in a GM's game. The GM believed fully in theater of the mind. He thought, let let's just be honest. He thought he was above using minis. He's oh, no. like, we don't we don't do that that plebeian thing of putting minis on a board. Why would you want to do it? But he was running a goddamn D and D game, <laughs> and he wouldn't let me narratively get my kit my my rogue into position to do backstab damage. Yeah, you that's, know? And that's I'm just a really like, big problem. You know, if I had if I had this on a board in front of me, I could show you how I'm in I'm in flanking position. I can stab this guy, and he's like, no, 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 you can't do that. And I'm just like, he wouldn't allow me to have that moment for my character to shine because he wouldn't take the time to make this more visually real for the rest of the players at the table. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I really don't want to speak too ill of theater of the mind. If you're not doing heavy tactical positioning rules or, or relative positioning of things don't matter. Theater of the mind is great. It takes zero seconds to set up and you just describe things and it's great. And people can fill it in. It is wonderful, especially if you have sort of a quick encounter or you're going off the rails you can or can't have rails depending on your particular flavor of game. Both are just fine. Yeah, that theater of the mind is really, really great. But when it's being used as a tool to take away those cool character moments, that's kind of a shame. Yeah. 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 It's like you have to, if you're doing theater of the mind, and I would say 80% of the time I'm doing theater of the mind. You know, I really only pull out the minis for d and I'm debating whether I'm going to get into, you know, miniatures, so to speak, for the uh, the Savage Worlds East Texas University campaign I'm about to start. Mm-hmm. But it's like most of the time it's theater of the mind, but you have to you have to give your players agency in that set in that theater. Yes, absolutely. To be able to to do the things they want to do with their character. And sometimes that means being like, well, okay, I wasn't expecting there to be a chandelier in this room, but if they want to do something really cool with it, yes, yes, there is a chandelier in this room. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, say yes to the cool factor. I'll always. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of middle ground in that uh you know, for, for players like Chuck, I will draw out the physical structures, you know, the 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 walls, the doors, mm-hmm. the corridors, the the, the pits, the the stairs, all that good stuff. That all gets drawn on a battle map that's on the table. Bless you. On behalf of every <laughs> player like me, bless yeah, you. Yeah, that always gets done. Now, if there's like a hallway that is 200 feet long, I am not going to draw that out in five foot increments, right? You know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to, I have like a little section of my battle map that I use the corner of that's like the zoomed out version of the map. And I'll just draw straight lines mm-hmm. and, and write like 100 next to it or 200 next to it mm-hmm. and tell the players, okay, this section of the dungeon is 200 feet away from that section of the dungeon. Mm-hmm. So we have the zoomed in where I'm drawing it in five foot square or one inch squares or equal to five feet. So, you know, mm-hmm. miniature scale. And then I have the, the the zoomed out like high level overview in one corner of the battle map where that's just a whole bunch of blobs and straight lines that indicate rooms and and hallways for for the the because some i have one player that can't piece together individual chunks of five foot by five foot to get a bigger view he just can't visualize Mm -hmm. that can't conceptualize that Mm -hmm. so i give him the map the little zoomed out view for him and then the zoomed in view is for where's your dude standing nice you know are you standing under the chandelier are you standing next to the door do you have flank right well 
yes mm-hmm. or no. It's very clear, yes or no, mm-hmm. based on where the minis are at. Mm-hmm. I don't do minis for my monsters, though. Again, it's a logistical. <laughs> I, I don't want to drag the the three bags of minis that I have around, um, and then and then dig through them and get them all out. I mean, that, that's like a. Well, right now I'm doing under mountain, you know, underwater deep. Mm-hmm. So we're we're just about to hit sec- or the second level of the dungeon. And honestly, I don't really read ahead all that far. Uh, I kind of do things on the fly. So hmm. my my prep is very minimal. So I don't know what's coming up too much before the players do. So I don't know what minis I'm going to need. And I don't want to go, okay, time out, guys. You kick open the door and you see, oh, I need eight miniatures out of my box. Which box are they in? I, I'm just not going to stall the game that way. That, that struggle is yeah, real. Yeah. That mm-hmm. struggle is real. I... Made an effort to have you know armies of the the num the 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 enemies that you tend to have a bunch right. of. So I think I have like thirteen goblins, yep. and I mean it's you have a few sets of those, and that becomes no matter what, no matter how organized you are, that becomes a struggle to work through. And you can set them aside, and you can have just like a little plate or something that has like okay, well here's this goblin encounter, right. but then you know you have a few of those, and you have this massive setup behind <laughs> you. It's basically a menu of what your players are going to face. As a slight tangent, as I mentioned, my friend used to be part of that program Watsi had to promo their stuff. And as a result, he got a giant bag of minis to hand out as promos. As a result, whenever I need a group of goons or, you know, minions... Mm -hmm. They're generally Admiral Akbars. Um, <laughs> I have like six Admiral Atbar- Akbars, so if I have six of the same kind of bad guy, I can just be like, okay, the Akbars are this dude, this type of person. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the the thugs, the henchmen, mm-hmm. the you know, mm-hmm. the whatever. And back in the day, uh, when we was playing with a different friend, he had about ten red ninjas from uh, from those same mini series. So it's like. It's okay to have, you know, just a generic figure that you use to represent mm-hmm. yep. the minions, you know, and only need to put in your effort for the, you know, the big bad right. or the unique scary monster that you want to, you want to throw out. Yeah. There. What I use is uh yep. dry erase chits there. There I have mm-hmm. one inch ones, mm-hmm. a two inch diameter and a two inch square uh, that I bought. Gosh, I think I just got it on Amazon. It was like a whole big collection of them. Um, so I, I've got dozens and dozens of these things, and I just whip out the fine point dry erase marker mm-hmm. and write, you know, G1 for Goblin 2 and G2 for Goblin 2 and so on and so forth. And Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if, if it's a big bad, I might uh, try to – I am not an artist. I'm so, so not an artist. But I'll do, I'll do a quick <laughs> little sketch of their face that is just a horrific caricature <laughs> of them uh, and, and drop that on the uh, on the table so the players know – when it's not just a letter and a number, it's somebody special. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think Jared did a review of a Kickstarter that ended mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, about for dry erase little squishy rubber mm-hmm. plastic things. I almost backed it, but I already had already bought these tokens that I already used, so I didn't mm-hmm. see personally the need for it. Looked like a great product, but uh, I already had something mm-hmm. that uh, uh, filled that 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 uh, role for me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think one of the things to, to talk about when you're discussing terrain and putting effort into that is, like, it has to be, one, it has to be your thing. It has to be, mm-hmm. like, like Chuck said earlier, it has to be a facet of the game that you actually enjoy putting effort into. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know a couple of folks who run for, um, you know, Savage Worlds. They, they're part of the Western New York Savage Worlds group. And Ooh, talk they... about a community that loves terrain. Oh, so yeah, yeah. the yeah. things that I see coming out of the Savage Worlds community is... Yeah, if I talk about some of the most elaborate terrain I've mm-hmm. ever seen, it's usually attached to a Savage Worlds game. In fact, there was there was one game I played at Origins several years ago where it was a table of Marvel player Marvel characters and a table of DC characters and off tantalizingly <laughs> in between those two tables was this giant city terrain. They literally had like tall skyscraper buildings and city streets with lamps and cars and just it was so well done and the whole thing was is we played at our separate tables until we reached the climax of the game and our universes merged as ultron and brainiac's plan came together and merged the two worlds and we fought each other for a little bit before realizing who the true evil was and then turn and we got to play in that mini terrain and that was fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. Can 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 we talk for just a second about how the the just sheer childlike joy <laughs> of playing with terrain is so reminiscent of uh, a level of imaginative play that that you just don't have access to yeah. most of the time. And I mean this this generation, broadly speaking, people who are adults right now are a generation, sorry, really gets a lot of criticism for being on a more or less continuous nostalgia trip, which is not unique to us, by the no, way. No, no, not at whatever. all. Whatever. But, but, so what? It's great, <laughs> and it's fun, and, and it's enjoyment. And yeah. it's it's something that you don't have access to, usually, unless you have that real tactile, physical connection to the game. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, that's something they enjoy putting their time into. Mm-hmm. If that is not something you enjoy putting your time into, don't. Right. You yep. know, you can, yeah. you can, you can zhuzh up your settings and your set pieces for your games with theater of the mind by just doing a little, you know, a little digging into your own research and understanding of what the setting is supposed to be without having to create a physical object right. for your player. And there is a middle ground yep. for it. Mm-hmm. So again, I, like I said, I use the battle map for drawing the rooms and the doors and all that for a wilderness encounter. I'll still leave the battle map on the, the, the table and grab a green dry erase and just draw like this weird cloud blob thing and, and then draw a brown circle in the middle and say, that's a tree. And then I'll repeat that two yeah. or three times I don't need mm-hmm. this majestic paper mache tree that somebody's going to bump with their elbow and knock over. I can just draw this blob. And that you have to store. And that you have to store and transport and all that. Yeah. And, and, there's, and, and I love it when people go to the lengths and effort and enjoyment to create those paper mache trees. Mm-hmm. That's not me. Um, mm-hmm. Me, my trees are green blobs with a brown circle in the middle. And I'll draw two or three of those. And I'll grab uh, a, a darker brown and draw a couple of other blobs. And Okay, guys, those are boulders. Mm-hmm. The giants are standing over here under this tree. You're coming from this direction. Roll initiative. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so that's kind of my middle ground. Is mm-hmm. and also that is the full extent of my artistic ability <laughs> is drawing <laughs> green and brown blobs. <laughs> and you know that that's honestly more than enough. Anything like RPGs are so weird in that anything that you add has this like magical alchemical transformation into being so much cooler oh, yeah. than it would be by itself. Yeah, your imagination's a, yeah. a force multiplier there. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So to go back to an earlier point, you know, sort of, and you were saying that you have to enjoy the process of, of kind of building it for it to be worthwhile for you. Something that I find myself returning to a lot is that building terrain is not a hobby for people who want to have terrain. Buying terrain is a hobby for people who want to have terrain. Building terrain is a hobby for people who enjoy building terrain. Yes. You have to actually enjoy the process and that feeling of satisfaction at the end of it to get anything out of it. Otherwise, it's just an exercise in yeah. frustration. But on the same token, you can't really know if you'll enjoy it until you try it at least once. Fair enough. Exactly. That's a great distinction. So recently, uh, I saw a video from Variety, which was basically talking with Joe Mangianello and his gamers, mm -hmm. uh, basically the people in Hollywood that are part of his game group. And now I know the story of his, his you know, his gamer nerdiness, because you know, mm -hmm. there's this whole story of he and his wife, uh, Sofia Vergara, bought a house and there's this room in the house with these beautiful wood doors and these curved brick ceilings. And, and she's like, I think I'll make this my Pilates studio. And he's like, no, 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 <laughs> This is, I need this room. This, I need this room. I'll build you a Pilates studio somewhere else, but I need this room. And that became his game room that he is outfitted. He has like a mounted mind flare on the wall, you know, head of a mind flayer on the wall. He's got this giant table with these massive chairs and just it's if you had money as a gamer, this is what you would build as your game room. Mm -hmm. But one of the things in this video that I found interesting is they showed his terrain. And as as Chuck said, you know, if you if you want to use terrain, you you can you can buy terrain. And when you mm -hmm. have that kind of money, that's the kind of terrain you buy. <laughs> Because mm -hmm. it was just magnificent. I mean, just just watch the video for the 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 setup. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 glimpses of the game in progress with all the terrain. So beautiful. Like obviously, immediately pulls the the players into the. Oh, this is gonna be good. Mm -hmm. And just to talk a little bit about doing theater of the mind and your set pieces and all of that, I highly recommend. I I'm a little bit spoiled. Uh, I work for a company that does aerial imaging, so I get to look at the country. I get to mm. look at backyards. I get to look at special places, and I see all the different places that are out there. And, you know, these are constant fodder for game ideas. Uh, and like, oh, what if I set a game in something like that? So, so Ange, I'm just going to stop you right there. It is a crime against Gnome Stew that you have not written an article based Ooh. on this. <laughs> Agreed. Game locations I discovered by looking at people's backyards. <laughs> there, I wrote yeah. your I wrote your title for you. I need it. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good idea. But what what I was going to say is like you also have access to all of this on Google Earth. Yep. You know, just look at a place and zoom in, zoom around. You know, like if you want to set a game in a an old quarry, find an old quarry on Google mm -hmm. Google Earth and take a look at what it's got set up there and all of that. And just, like, just abandoned factories and, <laughs> uh, you know, just a, a wild... Like, there's so many cool places. Like, Philadelphia has this old prison that is in the middle of a residential area, oh. and it's just this creepy-looking red-brick edifice with all these towers and courtyards and nooks and crannies, and it just, like, it screams haunted you know and like just go look at it and and use that inspiration to to make your your places in your game just a little bit more interesting 
So, Ange, are you going to like drop Google Earth coordinates for that uh, Philadelphia <laughs> location in, in the notes for this? I will definitely try and find that for folks. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, it, it's actually, there's, it's a historical place. I can't remember the name of it right now, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a museum at this point, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go on tours and they do a whole special thing during, ho- you know, like October for Halloween for haunted tours, but it's, mm-hmm. oh, and, 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 oh, New York, there are islands in the New York harbors. There's this one island that has all of these buildings on it, but it's completely abandoned and overgrown. I want to say that's North Brother Island. I'd have to look that up to be sure. But it's it's like, what is this place? Mm-hmm. Why is this so close to New York City? What is going on here? What What is this place? It's just, there's so much stuff you can find. If you just, if you have an idea for a location, look up some information on that type of location and just add that flavor into your, your descriptions in your game. I, I fully expect that after you said that out loud in public, there is going to be a real estate speculator that is going to be charging $4,000 a month in rent for a, for a room in one of those buildings. <laughs> New York most City them, being what it is. Most of them have trees going through them. That's so Light-filled. Light-filled, Light-filled yes. and charming. It's, it's a breezeway. <laughs> We've been talking for a while, so we should probably start to get out of here. Any last thoughts on terrain? Uh, start with paper crafts. Just just do it. If you have a printer, go find some free paper crafts. Shameless self-promotion. I did a whole article on them. Uh, <laughs> print it out, cut it out, put it together, and play with it. See if you like it. And if you do, then then you'll, you will almost certainly end up buying some insulation foam. And then you might buy a 3D printer, and I'm so sorry, because then you will have become one of us. <laughs> oh, sl- slight rant about 3D printers. Uh-huh. One of my gamers bought a really, really nice 3D printer, and he started doing some test runs of minis on it, and they are absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. But we're not playing together in person right now. So even though I have some, you know, the ability to get some files from uh, Her- Hero Forge, I don't have any place to use those minis right now. Aww. That's my minor rant for the moment. I, I feel that pain intensely. JT, any last words? No, not really. I think uh, Chuck covered it great right there. Start small and build your way up. Yeah. Yep. yep. And even if you can't build the, the actual physical thing to put on the table, mm-hmm. zhuzh up your actual s- stuff you're describing to your players. Oh, absolutely. Yep. So let's get into the outro. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website, the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the Personal Miniaturization Ray. When you want to make sure your terrain is pitch perfect enough, you can shrink yourself down and take a stroll through your terrain, checking it out and making sure it's perfect. PMR Incorporated takes no responsibility for the loss of your return to the full size button, and if you need to take up residence in your cupboard, or if your cat tries to eat you. If you've been enjoying the Gnome Cast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Misdirected Mark. Join the Misdirected Mark crew as they go live every Tuesday evening at 8 Eastern to break down and get inside games game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Chuck, where else can we find you on the internet? Well, when the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, my Twitter is unprotected at innocuouschuck. <laughs> JT! One-stop shop for me, uh, jtevans.net. Uh, you can find links to all my social media goodness at the top of every page. 
And you can find me at orikes13 on Twitter and Instagram. That's O-R-I-K-E-S-13. Though I will warn you, Instagram is mostly just pictures of my cats. Still going to follow you. I can't believe I haven't done that yet. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find a lot of pictures of my cats. Nothing wrong with that. So, do you guys think we avoided the stew this week? Uh, If not, we can try to make one. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Misdirected Mark. Join the misdirected... Sorry, Rob.